Welcome in, everybody, to another edition of the Guys Girl Show. I am your host, Blythe Brumley. If this is your first time tuning into the show, I would just like to say welcome. This is, we've done a handful of shows with, with BitChat before. BitChat is um, an online, if you're, if you're watching us live or if you're listening to us on podcast, BitChat is the video live streaming software that we use to show the show the guys girl show to show the uh, just sort of interact with different callers and different guests and um, I'm going to be doing these shows every Monday and every Friday on Mondays from 7 to 9 p.m. and then on Friday mornings to get you prepped for the weekend and to get you recapped for the weekend so since this is a Monday show we're going to get you recapped on all of the best sports shows or sports uh, commentary over the weekend, every, you know, all the little things that happened that you might have missed that you, you know, you heard somebody mentioning maybe around the water cooler at work this morning that you don't know anything really about. So we're going to catch you up on everything that happened in the sports weekend. And plus, if you notice, I am actually, well, I mean, you can't really notice, but there, I am wearing a costume for today because it's Halloween. And for those who don't know, or know me very well, or don't follow me on any, you know, social media platforms or anything, I am a big, big, big Halloween person. I I dress up every single year. Uh, I used to, you know, we used to, when I was younger, the, people would throw parties, and, you know, now that I'm a little bit older, especially with Halloween being on a work night, not too many people celebrate on Halloween the actual day, so normally most of the fun is done over the weekend, which um, celebrated for sure over this weekend with um, locally here in Jacksonville. That's where I'm based. We had Florida, Georgia, the annual world's largest outdoor cocktail party that was just in town. So we uh, we celebrated heavily for that. And uh, it was a lot of fun and uh, slowly recovered this morning. But we are back and we're ready to roll. And usually on Monday show, what I like to do is I like to go over a few things that happened over the weekend and then get into the the top six stories is what I like to call the Monday morning six pack or the Monday evening six pack I should say and then also later on in the show we're going to be joined by host of the Pac-12 network Michael Yam he also has a podcast that he's going to tell us a little bit more about too and so it's going to just be it's going to be a really fun show and so we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump right in and we're going to knock out some of these top stories that happened in sports over the weekend and what I kind of like to do with this is I kind of like to break things down a little bit into different categories and then right just go right into the six pack so what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about first who sucked and but won this weekend and I think the biggest red flag, or I guess I should say yellow flag, is I'm going to throw out on the Raiders because the Oakland Raiders this weekend, they committed a record 23 penalties in a game and still managed to get the win. The Raiders offense scored nearly 600 yards and quarterback David Carr is is already in the MVP race for the NFL. He got me 60 points on my fantasy team. How awesome is that? I mean, I'm sure if you if you had him on your team or you were playing against someone's team that had him on as their starting quarterback, I'm sure you're feeling slightly different about that performance, but um when we heard, or when I was listening to a little bit of the post-game press conferences, you heard head coach Jack Del Rio, and he asked, he was asked, well, why were there so many penalties committed? And he said, I don't really have an answer for you why there were so many penalties committed. He told the CNS, the CSN Bay Area, he said, we played through a lot of that, and I think the great thing is, is that we played through it and we still got the win. 
They played through nearly 200 yards. So while they scored 600 yards on offense, they had an additional 200 yards in penalties that they suffered, and they still managed to get the overtime win. Um, they squeaked out a W. It was their second East Coast trip because they went. They came to Jacksonville just two weeks ago. Yeah, two Sundays ago. And then this past weekend, they came back to the East Coast and played against the Tampa Bay Bucks. So that's two East Coast road trips in a row. They have a 6-2 and two record, and they're a perfect 5-0 and oh on the road. So that's um, it's, they, a lot of people might look at the Raiders and they would say, oh, they win the sloppy games or they haven't really beaten anyone of note yet. That's going to change this weekend because with the Raiders being tied for first place in the AFC West, they're tied with the Denver Broncos, who they will be facing this coming up week and for Sunday night football. So NFL ratings, if they're looking for a little bit of a boost, I think that's going to be um, that's going to be a nice game to watch on here on Sunday night. Now, if you're just tuning in, my name is Blythe, and I am host of the Guys Girls Show. If you see me, I'm sort of in costume right now. This is a Mortal Kombat player. Her name is Sonya Blade, and I wore this costume earlier in the year when I was helping out a, a buddy of mine who runs, he, it's a company called GAM, and it stands, it's an acronym for Games, Art, and Music, and what he does is he holds events on the East Coast for um, different gaming conventions, not, it's kind of a gaming convention, it's sort of just like a big party where everybody shows up in costume. There's art aux- charity art auctions, um, lots of vendors that show up, DJs. Um, and so what we did beforehand is I'm going to keep hitting these dog tags. So if you hear some chains flying around, that's my dog tags that, um, that keep flying around. But anyways, so it, with a lot of these different events that he, that Gam puts on, what they'll do is they'll hold a photo shoot months in advance to, decide the theme of the show and the past show was called versus so that's you know that's that's killer instinct that's mortal Kombat, that's street fighter so i was one of the mortal Kombat players sonya blade so i just took that costume that i spent a lot of hard work on and a lot of money on and i'm repurposing it for halloween so i didn't want to go out and spend a whole bunch of money on another costume when i have a perfectly good costume as it is Um, So, jumping right back into sports, just in case you were wondering as to why this woman is is dressed up in a a costume on Bid Chat, that is the reason. So, jumping right back in to to talk about what happened over the weekend, I want to talk about another thing that happened, and and that's something that's great but lost. And I want to say a little, I want to pour one out for our buddies over at Vine. I don't know if you guys are aware of this app, but this app debuted a few years back, and it, people were famous for becoming like Vine comedians, or you know that the phrase "do it for the Vine." Um, there was a few di- different, not a few, but many different comedians and artists actually made it very made it a name for themselves on Vine using the six second app. But what was really crucial with this? Uh, I guess this app is that they announced over the weekend or Twitter announced over the weekend that they're going to be discontinuing the service or discontinuing the app in general. So while the videos will still be online for you to view for hopefully eternity, what you won't be able to do is to actually create any new vines. So there were still people, especially involved in the sports industry, who use Vine pretty heavily. And it, the way it sort of works is that 
I remember I, I was working for a sports blog and it was our job to cover breaking news. And so what we would do is we would have a writer, like if a story would break, if we're watching a big game or like a big hit would happen or a big tackle, big sack, what we would do is we would have one of the writers that would be writing the article of what happened. And then someone like me or somebody else, I would be getting a vine of the play that actually happened. And so you're ideally you have an HD television and you're, you're, you have a DVR and you're, you can easily just press pause and rewind it to the perfect point where you can get that full six seconds and you would get the full sec, full six seconds. And then you would be able to upload it to vine and then add it to your blog post and hit publish. And then all of a sudden you had a feed of what people are probably going to the internet to search for. So vine was a huge, huge part of our of our college football coverage, of our NFL coverage. Um, used it very, very heavily for a long time. And then it sort of uh, tailored off a little bit, um, especially when Twitter allowed for videos be, to be uploaded directly to their platform. Then there wasn't really that much use of, of Vine anymore when you could just embed a tweet and why send someone else to another website or why use another app when you can just use the same Twitter app. So I think Twitter sort of made a mistake in the grand scheme of things, and number one, buying Vine. They bought Vine before it ever publicly launched. So while this app was, while Vine was in development, Twitter bought it before it launched, and then they actually came through, launched the platform, and it's been running solid ever since. But Twitter has also diversified themselves, which, I mean, the company themselves, they're not doing so hot right now. They, it, it, that stock buyers, uh, Disney tried to buy them. They reportedly walked out of the meeting before the before the you know the uh, real negotiations could take place. Um, so Twitter's been suffering a little bit as of late, and the the future of the platform is not really known because growth has stalled dramatically. I mean, in a sense, that the majority of the tweets you see online are created by a very small fraction of users, something like ninety percent of the tweets that are created are created by about 3% of the Twitter population. So it's what you're ha- what's happening is is that a lot of people are using Twitter but a, not a lot of people are creating content. And when a lot when the majority of your user base has isn't creating a lot of content and the growth has stalled, you, you're going to run into a lot of issues. And so I think with Twitter in particular, they're 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 cutting their losses with Vine. And, and shutting down the app so they can save a lot of money. But in the grand scheme of things, Vine was still a great platform. And those a lot of those artists have used it for growth and have since moved on within the past you know, year, two years or so. And they've gone on to YouTube. They've gone on to Snapchat. They've gone on to maybe Instagram video. But you're probably going to see a lot of those users go to, if they haven't already, they're going to go to other platforms. So it, it sort of sucks because Vine was such a... It was such a simple tool for a lot of users to, to utilize for their, their daily coverage or just comedians and making funny, funny stuff happen. But if you, I guess if you miss it, then you can always go back and check all of your old vines because they're, for a strange reason, Twitter isn't getting rid of vine altogether because I would think that there's a bigger cost associated with hosting all of those videos and like the server upkeep and and maintenance of it. So I think if Twitter is shutting it down, but not shutting down the vines yet, I think it's just a matter of time before they shut it down completely. 
probably a year or so before all those videos are actually taken down because I guarantee that hosting bill for all of those files and all that information is not cheap. And if Twitter wants to keep cutting costs and, and save money to keep the main platform alive, then they're probably going to have to do away with Vine at some point. So it, it sort of sucks, but I mean, I guess it is what it is in the industry where it's 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 constantly changing. And if users aren't using your using your app and, and using the network, then it's sort of uh, the writing's on the wall. Even though over the weekend, after people heard that Twitter was getting rid of it, Vine rose to the top of the the top downloaded free apps. So maybe there's there's a spark, a little bit of a future, but highly doubt it. So pour one out for poor Vine. Um, maybe another network will come on that will allow you to to make that same you know great videos. Unlike Snapchat, where it can actually stick around for a while instead of you know just being deleted within 24 hours or whatever. So going into our next topic, I want to talk about the shocking realization of the week, and this is this is going back to sports. Um, Alex Smith, quarterback for the Chiefs. He was hit early in the game after when they were the Chiefs were playing the Colts over the weekend, and he was hit early in the game. He left the game and then come back, and he came back in the third quarter. He was hit again by the Colts' Clayton Gathers, and then he shoved Smith's head into the turf as the QB tried to slide under the tackle. Now a lot of people are coming down on the Colts. And for their defensive plays or, or their defensive decision making, I guess you could say, on a player that they probably thought was injured. But I mean, that's sort of the name of the game when it comes to football. If you know a player is injured, you're gonna go, you're gonna go after whether you like it or not. Whether it's the PC correct thing to say, an athlete is going to go after that injury, whether it's a knee, whether it's a shoulder, whatever it is. That that's going to be their job is to go after it and take you out. And Alex Smith, he, he had to leave the game again in the third quarter. But after no running back in Jamal Charles, Jamal Charles was supposed to start. He didn't start this game. Alex Smith ended up leaving the game. Backup running back Spencer Ware missed the entire second half of the game due to a concussion. But, court, but backup quarterback Nick Foles, he managed to get that win over the Colts 30-14. to And I don't know if that says more about the Colts losing and how, just how dreadful of, of a team that they have, because if Andrew Luck doesn't play well, then the rest of the team is 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 trash, and they're not going to play well either. Um, they're not going to play well. The rest of the team is not going to play well, period. In order to get a win for the Colts, Andrew Luck is going to have to play lights out and mistake-free. And unfortunately, he, well, I mean, I'm a Jaguars fan, so I wouldn't say unfortunately, but... Uh, Andrew Luck, unfortunately for Colts fans, I should say, Andrew Luck did not pull out. Um, he did not have his best game, so he did not uh, get the W for uh, or against the Chiefs. Um, so moving on to the next, I want to talk about the sports fans over the weekend and a variety of, of things that they did and, and what I like to call the kook of the week. And I have a few different kooks, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but this grandpa who goes to all of the Cubs games and he sits behind home plate and he wears this bright pink hat. And I don't know if you guys have seen him in maybe in the live broadcast or whatever, but he was asked why he wears this bright pink hat. And it turns out that he wears it because he's been a season ticket holder for years. He goes to all of the different Cubs games, but he wears that hat so his wife can see him on television and know he's not out cheating. 
I thought that that was fantastic because the guy, I mean, he looks, he looks about late 70s, early 80s. So I just thought that that was really funny. And then another fan, or I guess fans, I should say, Browns fans, did, um, they tried to hold up, this is the dog pound banner. And I don't know if you guys saw this, but they did not assign the the banner properly because the, the banner is one of those things that's broken down in, in, in different segments. It's one of those really large banners that covers up about half of a section. So it takes the coordination of a lot of people in order to pull this off. But whenever they unraveled the banner, it was set up incorrectly. So it did not say what they meant for it to say. So the poor Browns, they can't catch a break. They're winless so far this season. They might get I don't think that they'll they'll go winless the entire season, but that's definitely. I mean, as fans, especially in you know North Florida area and Jacksonville area, we like to be able to control our surroundings because we damn sure can't control what the front office does or if the head coach is going to get fired in the in the Jacksonville Jaguars. But what we can control is how the fans act, and and I can definitely say that the Jaguar fans have never taken a loss at the tailgate. And I like to think that we've never taken a loss while in the stands for the behavior of ourselves. Now, the behavior of the team, that's that's a whole other story, which I'll definitely get into later on. And then there was another incident, which I think the majority of you guys might have seen, but it was in the Buffalo Bills and Patriots game. Speaking of other fans who were at, I, I guess, acting with questionable behavior. Now, why this came up, I'm not sure, but in the middle of the Bills and Patriots game, this is in Buffalo, by the way, a fan threw, snuck in a dildo and then threw it on the field. I'm not sure of the intent behind that. I'm not sure of the reasoning or why you decide that you're just going to sneak a dildo into the stadium. But the Buffalo Bills fans did it. And there's all over the internet, you can do a quick Google search, but you can go and you can find video of like the behind the scenes footage of these fans. And they're, they're, they're filming. And what's going on is there's, it's the whole thing. They're, they're, they're in their end zone or the, the play is happening closer to their end zone and somebody just chucks it and it lands about on the one yard line and the poor ref walks over. He sees it. He's not touching it. So he kicks it off to the side and you can hear the fans laughing. You can see the ref sort of chuckling about what had happened. But I don't know if this is, I, I would imagine knowing the copycat league that it is that more fans will follow suit and sneak more dildos in and throw them on the field in their distaste of a play on the field or something. I don't know the reasoning behind it, but I thought it was, it was definitely creative. It was definitely pretty funny. And I'm not shocked at all that it was a Bills fan that was the first to do this. Um, so yeah, to, I mean, take that for, for what it is. I don't know if we're going to see more of this. We probably will knowing NFL fans, especially if your team really doesn't have any sort of dog in the race. Um, which is what the Patriots did, and they sort of, I wouldn't say that they embarrassed the Bills yesterday, but they damn sure weren't going to go in there and, and get swept by the Bills. They, they, if many of you don't know, the Bills beat Tom Brady-less Patriots earlier in the season, but now that Tom Brady is back, 
there was no way that Brady and Belichick were going to let the Bills sweep them this season. So they split the season series, and they're moving on. Um, Patriots looked like the dominant team in the AFC, likely going to be going to the Super Bowl. So um, I don't know that um, throwing a dildo on the field after a play had any kind of effect on him. But in related news, somewhat related news, Rob Gronkowski did score his 69th touchdown. So that might have a little bit of a... There's a lot of sexual innuendos going on with Bills fans that as of late. And I guess now they're including the Patriots in that as well. And another, while I'm still talking about sports fans in general, I want to give a shout out to the Cubs fan who was in the stands, and Jason Hayward, Cubs outfielder, he was coming over to catch a ball, and this guy, Cubs fan, he has great seats. He's sitting right in the front row, and many of you will remember Steve Bartman from 2003 when he famously reached over, along with several other people, and interfered with a play, and then it sort of started a chain of events that led to the Cubs embarrassingly losing the NLDS back in 2003. But this Cubs fan, he probably remembered it in the back of his head because he's at a World Series game and he sees the ball coming and he's looking and he reaches his hands out for a hot second and then he pulls it back in and he resists the urge to go after a World Series ball and he lets Jason Hayward make the play. So that's smart on the Cubs fan. Good job on not uh, becoming the next Bartman. And special shout out to, to Bartman wherever he is. You know he was cringing in that moment if he was watching that game. So now, transitioning a little bit into the sports six-pack, because here in about 15 minutes, we're going to be joined by the Pac-12 host. His name is Michael Yam. He has his own podcast, um, but he hosts for, he's an in-studio television host for the Pac-12. So that's going to be a really, really fun interview. So I'm just going to sort of run through these, the, the six pack of sports coverage that I think is the most important things that you should know and, and that should be the biggest takeaways from over the weekend. And first up, we have ESPN losing 621,000 subscribers. It's the worst month in ESPN's cable history. And, and what it sort of essentially says is, is Clay Travis, he, um, he runs the, the set, the website, Outkick the Coverage, and he, he writes a lot on sports media and, or in sports contracts and, um, sports licensing fees and sports rights. So that means, you know, every NBA game that you see on television, every NFL game you see on television, those are licensed out to the different networks. And ESPN, if they keep losing subscribers at the rate that they've been losing, I mean, last month was particularly the, the worst month ever, but they've been steadily losing subscribers because people keep cutting the cord. A lot of different consumers are, are choosing to step away from traditional cable and satellite packages, and especially over the past year. I myself just cut the cord last week. I'm sending my, my DirecTV box, actually just packaged it up right before this show started, and I'm going to be saving about 100 bucks a month. Just for getting rid of DirecTV, I still have all my core channels. I still have ESPN. I still have Net, um, FS1. I still have NFL Network. Um, but I, I went with, I bought an HD antenna for about 12 bucks, hooked it up to all, and I bought one for each one of my televisions. So I have all the local channels. And then I subscribed to PlayStation View, 
which is about 40 bucks a month for the package that I chose. And that's that's where I get all my ESPNs, all my NFL network, and I get all the ESPN channels. I get all the FS1 channels. I still get, um, I think I get TNT, TBS. I'm still playing around with a lot of it, but it's, it's our culture has sort of, our television viewing habits and our culture has changed so much that a lot of a lot of cable subscribers are just saying no thank you to these big expensive cable packages and that's sort of what Clay Travis dove into because if you don't know even if you are not a sports fan whatsoever the cable package that you have you're paying $80 a year towards ESPN and even if you don't watch a lick of NBA Part of the fees that you pay to your cable and satellite providers, you're also paying the NBA $30 a year. So that's, what, 110 bucks for ESPN and the NBA if you don't watch any sports whatsoever. And that's sort of a shocking number, but that's the... That's sort of the biggest argument when people talk about different sports packages is that... ESPN is really the only thing that's driving them to keep their cable package. So now that you have all these different options with PlayStation View, with um, even Sling, or you know a, a couple of other different providers, you can choose. You can have Netflix for ten bucks a month, and then you can go and you can pay ES or ES PlayStation to get ESPN for 40 bucks a month and you're only paying 50 bucks a month versus my cable bill was $180 last year and I essentially or not last year but last month and I essentially only watched ESPN. Like that's a that's a significant savings. Um so I think that's that that's where a lot of subscribers are going to be running into an issue is because they're going to say goodbye to traditional cable packages and ESPN is going to continue to see this drop off and what happens is is while they, they they make a little bit of chunk of change from cable and satellite subscribers, they make the majority of their money through advertising. But ESPN is a huge company. So in a few years, if they keep losing subscribers year after year, month over month, Clay Travis said in his article that by 2021, ESPN will be paying more for sports rights fees, sports licensing fees, than they will be earning from cable subscribers. So it's a little bit of a jolt that the industry has changed or the, the viewing habits have changed so much for cable and satellite subscribers and just TV viewers in general that ESPN is already starting to feel the pinch of these people who are cutting the cord. And I don't think these people are going to look back. I, I'm not going to look back. I mean, I, my, my transition from DirecTV to PlayStation View has been seamless. The only downside I would say about having PlayStation View is you have to be really committed to to what you're watching. There, there's no there's no channel surfing. There's no just hitting the next button up. You you have to figure out what you want to watch and then be committed to it because it's it's going to load just like an internet video. And once it loads, then I mean it doesn't take long to load, but it's just one of those things that once you have to be. It has to be sort of dedicated viewing, and I think that that's how TV has has changed for the majority of people anyways. So if it's up your alley, check it out, PlayStation View. I I recommend it, but ESPN is going to be in a heap of trouble if they don't figure out something with these sports licensing fees because by 2021, we could see an entirely different landscape than than what's currently out there today. So moving on to the next topic, because I have to move through these kind of quickly. We're going to have Michael Yam 
joining us here in about 10 minutes. So um, what I'm going to talk about next is the Jacksonville Jaguars. I, it, they, they're, uh, it's a shit season. It's, and I, I don't want to talk too much about this because I'm going to get angry. I'm going to get pissed off. But this was another one of those seasons that the offseason, it looked so great. Our offense was clicking. That was the only thing we didn't have to fix. And the, <laughs> the season started and reality slapped us in the face again. The season is over for the Jacksonville Jaguar fans in October again. And, and what we have essentially is 10 years of rebuilding and 10 years of promises by two different regimes, and both have fallen flat on their face. So as a result of that, another disappointing start. Gus Bradley, head coach of the Jaguars, was not fired. Instead, offensive coordinator uh, Greg Olson was fired. The quarterback's coach, uh, Nick Hackett, I think is his name, or Hack, whatever, Nick Hackett, He's only going to be here for a few months anyways. But he was promoted to the offensive coordinator. Apparently he has a better relationship with Blake Bortles. So they're going to um, hopefully do something on offense that doesn't result in turnovers and doesn't result in punting the ball because we have the worst punting or the worst third down conversion in the NFL. I think it's somewhere around 27% of the time the Jaguars convert on third down, which is abysmal, abysmal. Um so we'll see. I, I don't. I don't know if we we've already experienced the lowest of lows this season. I mean, you can't really get any worse. Um, what I would like to see, though, however, is former coach of the Jaguars, Tom Coughlin. He was let go by the Giants last year, and he's serving as a special court or a special advisor to the NFL. What I think should happen is, I think that the Jaguars should hire Tom Coughlin, not as head coach, but as a special advisor some sort of leadership role to the team. He he knows this market. He's still closely tied to it. He knows the bigger markets. He's won in the bigger markets. He knows how to acquire talent. He knows how to evaluate talent. And that's something that I'm not confident in this Gus Bradley regime whatsoever. And I think that that's what Shad Khan needs the most right now is he needs a football guy who knows how to run the football operations. We have everything else seemingly tied up. But he needs somebody like a Tom Coughlin, and I don't know that anybody else besides Tom Coughlin is going to take him up on that opportunity. Um, Moving on, there's a few other stories that I want to let you know about really quick before Michael joins us. If you're just tuning in, my name is Blythe Brumleave. I am the host of the Guys Girl Show. We're here every Monday night and every Friday morning recapping you all the sports stuff that happened over the weekend and then talking about all the stuff that's coming up for the weekend. So we'll do that on Friday. Right now, let's, let's knock out the rest of these Sports stories that you should know. Jose Fernandez, former pitcher for the Marlins. Um, many of you might know that he died in a fatal boat crash uh, about a month ago and the autopsy came back in that Jose Fernandez, I mean, he was a, a, a top prospect in the league, arguably one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, and his life tragically ended. And the autopsy came back after a boat crash with two of his friends that he had ingested cocaine and he had alcohol in the system. Now, Fernandez wasn't driving the boat himself, and reportedly that's why he wasn't driving it is because he was under the influence. But it's still, it, it's and I'm just going to be the one to say it. Like it, it, it's a shame. It's it's a shame that he wasted his life away, and it's a shame that this had to happen in such a tragic way. And it's it's I, it's it, it cost him his life bad, and that just goes to show how quickly making a bad decision can affect not only your life, but the lives of everyone else around you, your family that's going to, that's still suffering, 
your 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 baby that your unborn baby that hasn't that that will never know her father him or her father and it's just it's it's a really sad situation but i mean i have to say a young rich guy living in miami it's not a total shock that alcohol and cocaine would be found in his, in his body and and i sort of you know it's not really glass half full when you think about it, but glass half full, at least he wasn't driving because then I think the media and the press would come down a lot harder on him. So next up on the list, sort of transitioning to a little bit of a lighter story. Um, Jim Harbaugh was unsurprisingly uh, brought a baseball glove to a world series game the other day. He was the first world series game at Wrigley field for the Cubs. Um, And if, and my interesting take on this is that if you're on a first date and, and the guy brings a glove, like, what's your first thought? Is that is that okay? Is it is it sort of frowned upon? Is it like a situation where, you know, a guy wears a jersey and you're like, oh, I don't know if I like that. Um, I sort of think it's okay. I, I don't think, but I'm, I know a lot of people, especially on Twitter, were coming down hard on, on, on Jim Harbaugh for, for bringing a glove to the ballpark. I don't really see anything wrong with it because if you've ever tried to catch a foul ball or a home run ball, I never have, but I know that the ball's coming in there. They're not coming in like a slow pitch softball. They're not lobbing it up to you. They come in quick. They come in fast. And if you try to barehand it, your, your hand is really going to hurt. Um, so you probably have a better advantage if you bring a glove to the ballpark, but the con of that is that you have to sit there the whole time with your hand in the glove instead of maybe, I don't know, eating a hot dog or eating one of those awesome ice cream and a helmet. Like, you can't really do that when you have a baseball glove on your hand the whole time. So, I don't know. I don't I don't really see it as such of a negative as other people do, but a lot of people were coming down on, on Harbaugh, calling on him even more of a maniac. And so another thing that I wanted to talk about with you guys before Michael Yam joins us here in about five minutes is Brandon Jennings. He said over the weekend that D'Angelo Russell, he's a Laker player who, if you remember last year, it was D'Angelo Russell and he was a first round draft pick and he's dubbed, you know, sort of going to be like one of the, the next stars of the NBA, but he made a really bad mistake in that he filmed another teammate on Snapchat, Swaggy P, which I cannot stand that name, but he filmed another teammate secretly on Snapchat talking about cheating on his fiance, who was formerly E. Azalea, which is the fact that those two were dating in general, just screams of PR. But um, Swaggy P apparently had been cheating on Iggy Azalea for a long time, and Russell caught it on Snapchat, and then from there, somebody else recorded it, and uploaded it to the internet, and so now D'Angelo Russell is seen as a snitch in the locker room, which I don't entirely agree with. I think he made a mistake in an era of the the generation that we live in, where people document anything and everything. So I think that's sort of a, a, a situation that he he got caught in, and I think that if just the intended viewers had seen it, meaning the people that he's actually added on Snapchat, Instead of somebody just taking it and and uh, and downloading it and then uploading it to another network without him knowing, and, and that's I mean that's that's sort of the same thing that he did to D'Angelo Russell too, or or what he did or D'Angelo Russell did to Swaggy P. So I guess sort of you know you reap what you sow, 
But um, he also called him, he said he's a great hooper, but, or Brandon Jennings said over the weekend that D'Angelo Russell is a great hooper, but he's also a snitch. So he's still, D'Angelo Russell still has that title of being a snitch, but I don't know that you should really count that. I, I, I mean, I don't think he's too much of a snitch. Um, and I don't know that it's going to be fair that for the rest of his career, or not the rest of his career, maybe just for the meantime, that he's going to be labeled in that way as a snitch. And so last story that I'm going to get to before Michael Yam is calling in. Um, but did you guys see this Denver Broncos cheerleader who was dressed up as a dinosaur? Because usually it, it, at NFL games, if, you ha- if you've never been or maybe if you haven't sort of paid attention, I can't imagine you haven't. But around this time of the year, all of the cheerleaders for the different NFL teams will dress up in a costume. And usually it's something kind of cheesy. It's like a sexy nurse or, you know, I don't know, just something that it's a cheap, expensive, it's cheaply made and it's an expensive costume. And the girls who wear it, they rock it, but it's just, I mean, you look at me, like I'm a, I'm a custom cosplay costume type of girl. And so I don't really care for the costumes that are a little cheesy and they're cheap and these costumes cost like 120 bucks, and they, they're not made worth a damn. And I'm, I'm just anti, I'm anti-commercialized costumes. I think you should take some time and put some creativity into it, and that's exactly what this Denver Broncos cheerleader did, because instead of wearing something, you know, like a sexy nurse or a sexy cop or something like that, what she did is she took this dinosaur costume and it covered up everything, and she nailed her routine in the middle of the field, dancing alongside all the other cheerleaders who are dressed to the nine and dressed in their Halloween costumes, but she killed it. So kudos to that chick, because she went above and beyond, and now everybody's talking about her costume versus everyone else that can sort of be ignored. So, excuse me, long-winded conversations here. So what we're going to talk about next, we're going to have Michael Yam join us here in just a minute. He should be calling here or calling in in about a minute. So what he's going to do, he's going to call my cell phone. I'm going to put him on speakerphone and then have it route to, I mean, you guys should be able to listen in pretty easily. But um, he has a podcast called Give Me a Sense. And he's a host, in-studio host of Pac-12 Network. So it's going to be really interesting, especially from from my point of view, because I'm I'm an East Coaster, right? So I don't have a chance to stay up late a lot of the time to catch a, a lot of the Pac-12 games. And so what will happen is I'll catch the highlights the next day if I'm lucky. I mean, because majority of you know the ESPNs of the world, they don't really give a lot of love to the, the, the Pac-12 network or even the, the West Coast games because a lot of the times you know, they'll, they'll, give the, they'll shine the biggest spotlight on the SEC, right? Because that's the, that's the darling of, of ESPN. And so what will happen is, oh, I think that's actually Michael Yam calling right now. So we're going to jump right in right now. Hello, is this Michael? Yes, it is. Hi. Hi, this is Blade. How are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. I was just um, I was just telling a little bit of the the crowd. We're on a live stream right now. I was telling them a little bit about um, the the Pac-12 and how 
you know, sort of a, an, an East Coast girl doesn't really get a chance to, to dive too far into the, the Pac-12. <laughs> well, I'm an East Coast guy that lived your life for a while. So now that I am fully integrated into West Coast way of living, I, can, I might be able to help out in this conversation. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. So so I'm going to go ahead and um, sort of introduce you. This is, um, if you guys are just tuning in, um, we're, we're joined by Michael Yam right now. He's the host of the Pac-12 Network and Give Me a Sense podcast. Now, now, Michael, for those who aren't familiar with you and your work, tell us a little, about, a little bit about where you came from and how you got involved with the sports industry. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in the Northeast, um, a Jersey guy. I went to school in New York. I went to Fordham and uh, I worked in Midtown Manhattan at Sirius Satellite Radio for a while before it became Sirius XM, and I, I spent a lot of my time doing a lot of NBA conversations, whether it was NBA shows at Sirius or NBA TV, where I worked for a couple of years, and then ESPN for four years before I moved to the West Coast to uh, the Pac-12 Network. So I am fully integrated into the West Coast way of living, um, and if it even helps, I'm actually leaving wine country right now, driving back to San Francisco, where I live right now, and that's where our studios are. So, um, yeah, totally, I, you know, a big portion of my life was a lot of NBA basketball before I started doing a lot of college sports, but certainly right now, and I listened to your podcast the other day with regard to uh, to Bobby Petrino, which was a spirited conversation that you guys uh, <laughs> had on the podcast, which I found really, really interesting. So, uh, but yeah, no, obviously college football right now in the thick of things there, and, and uh, certainly with college basketball right around the corner. Oh, gosh, yes. I, I mean, I, I if you... If- if you couldn't tell my voice on there, I, I am a big, um, I'm a big Louisville fan, so I am, I am Team Bobby yeah, Petrino. I can tell. You're very, you're very apologetic for for Bobby Petrino. I you took a, a a stance that I was like, whoa, okay, all right, let's see what I'm getting involved in uh, popping on your show. I'm like, all right, let's do this. Let's do this. Absolutely. I, I'm I, I'm one of those type of people that, especially with Louisville, I will love Bobby Petrino and I will appreciate this time until he leaves us because I know. It's it's coming eventually, but I'm just gonna ignore. I, I'm yeah, just you gonna. Know what the, oh, go ahead. You guys have arguably, and I think it's, there is an argument, but I think right now the front runner, obviously, on your squad. Is, did you go to Louisville? Is that why the there's the, the connection there with Petrino and the program? Well, well, actually, all of my family is all from Louisville. So, so they moved down. There was um, they all worked for the railroad that was located in Louisville, Kentucky, and then when they relocated to Jacksonville, Florida. CSX relocated their headquarters to Jacksonville, Florida, and so that's when my essentially my entire family moved down. So everybody pretty much bleeds Louisville, red and black, and, and it's sort of ingrained in me. Okay, that, that's fair. Well, the good news is obviously you guys have had a, a phenomenal season, certainly still in the conversation for a college football playoff, and you have maybe, and I say maybe because I think he is the front runner right now for Heisman Trophy and Lamar Jackson, but he, he's put on a show this season. So I, I understand why you, you're very supportive of Bobby Petrino. I, I get it. I disagree maybe with a couple of things that you had said on that previous podcast, but from a football standpoint, I understand the love that you have for him. Yeah, it's just one of those things that you just got to ride it out while you can because, you know, obviously he's left the program before, so it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I'm just going to enjoy this time while I have it. If if his wife is okay with his transgressions, then I'm not going to I'm not gonna worry about it at all. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the field. <laughs> Essentially. Now, I, isn't it crazy that we're having a – if his wife is cool with the mistress, okay, I get it. You can hop on a motorcycle and do what you got to do. I, I – I, <laughs> 
I don't think you're the only person that, that would probably take that stance, especially if you're a Louisville fan, so I, I get it. Oh, God, yes, because I, right now I'm dealing with a situation with uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars and, and, and Gus Bradley, and it's a situation where you it, it if you can... It, if you can ignore other transgressions in order to get wins on a football field, I can see how people car, car, uh, compartmentalize getting football wins versus what a coach does in his off season or in his off time, I guess yeah, you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you watch Ballers on HBO? No, but it's one of those shows that I have on the DVR. I just haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. You, you got to watch it because that, that's like the one thing, and I've had a couple of NFL guys on my podcast and I have yet to ask any of them, but I swear that the next pro athlete that I get on, even if it's not NFL, I'm going to ask them, how real is Ballers? Because it just, it's so crazy to me, just sort of the lifestyle, and, and, and obviously you cover pro sports and even college sports, so you, you get it, but when you're living that lifestyle, I just want to know, like, how legit is that show? Because they have former athletes that I know consult on it, so it's just funny because you, you mentioned Bob Petrino and some <laughs> of the transgressions, you know, and it's sad. It's, it's kind of like the sad reality of, of athletics where sometimes it, things kind of go that way in terms of relationships. So, Absolutely. I feel like we've gone on the biggest right turn ever. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, this is actually fascinating to me because there's, there's um, even being sort of closely tied to the Jaguars organization, I'm not going to name any names, but I know one player in particular, he has two phones, and one of them he uses as a bat phone, and the other phone he uses for his, his wife and his family. And he, used, he has one phone in particular that he only uses for um, – for, for other other people, I should say. But isn't it hard to root for a guy like that, though? It, it, and by the way, kudos for you. Like, I haven't heard Bat Phone in a while, so I, <laughs> I like that you made that reference. But I feel like that's hard to root for. I mean, all the guys that I've worked with over the course of my career, and there's been, you know, my time at ESPN or even, even at Pac-12 Network, I, I feel like if I know those stories about a guy, I'm kind of like, oh, man, really? Okay. Like, it's one thing if you're a cheater, right? And... You're not married. Oh, now he is married, obviously, to Hannah Davis, but pre-married. Like, dude, like, you know, man, it's, it's cool. Like, go get him. Whatever you want to do. You're not married. You haven't made that commitment or bond right, right. yet, so why not? But but once you, you sort of go that route, it's like, oh, man, it's kind of a buzzkill when I hear stories like that. It, it sort of is, but it's also, I just, I, I, I'm, I've always taken on the role of don't, don't shoot the messenger, and I've always just, you know, every relationship is different. So I just, I, in a, I guess in my own brain, I sort of justify it as if a guy is, you know, maybe he's made that arrangement with his wife. Maybe she chooses to, to look the other way because I've watched a few episodes of um, the WAGS show on the E! e News and, or not E! News, but entertain, E! Entertainment Television. And they'll straight up say that, yes, they know that they're, that their guy has different women in different area codes, sort of like that ludicrous song from, from years back. And they'll talk about it, and, and they just, their, their situation is that they just don't want to be embarrassed. And so I think for a, a lot, or not a lot of people, but the fact that, it, going back to Bobby Petrino, the fact that it was in public, it was um, sort of embarrassing um, to, to be publicly outed like that. But if it's, if there's sort of a discretion there, then then I think a lot of well, just you know, from watching reality tel- television, that and not to say that a lot of that is, is based in truth, but 
um, that the women will sort of look the other way because there's a certain lifestyle associated with being with a professional athlete and, and they'll look the other way when it comes to, to indiscretions like that. Now, obviously not all of them are the same. There's, you know, for, for every scumbag, there's probably, you know, five or, you know, five to 10 really good guys that are faithful or who, who just choose not to get married because they don't want to, to violate that relationship. But it, it's sort of an, an interesting discussion, especially with, with athletes, you know, how, how much do you want to know about their personal life and, and will it affect you watching them on the field? And that's, that's especially what a lot of Jaguar fans wrestle with right now because we've been losing for so long. And so when a situation comes up like, um, you know, the Jaguars kick the tires on a, on a Greg Hardy, and is that a situation that you would be okay with that guy playing for your team if he helps you win? And and it's an it's it's a fascinating debate to see where fans stand and, and what they sort of are willing to to look the other way with, uh, along with a you know a player's wife just to be able to to get a certain benefit in their own life, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, and I think there's something to that, especially when and there is a huge difference, at least in my mind, as a as a fan of of sports, right where. I think if it's at the professional level, it's one thing. And then if it's at the collegiate level, it's a different conversation. I've spent most of my career now covering the Pac-12 and college sports and college athletes where that not, isn't necessarily an issue. But on the pro side, you're right. Although, look, I, I grew up in the Northeast. I grew up a Knicks fan. And I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, there, there's some times it's hard for me to root for Derrick Rose right now mm-hmm. considering some of the things that have happened with him and that, that's been out there in the news. So, but but do I want the Knicks to win? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think on the professional level, there's the narrative that is really, it, the lines may be a little bit blurred there. Where on the collegiate level, which is, once again, you know, on the Pac-12, where, where those are most of the, they're student athletes. And, and I think we can all remember our college days and what it was like to be there. I think it's a different, different, different way of living. And I, and I think that's the thing that bothers me about the Bobby Petrino thing, where if you're a head coach, and I agree with you, it wins cure all of those issues. But if you're a college football coach, there's more than just wins. While that's really important, you are responsible for cultivating relationships, setting an example, making sure that the student athlete, and I think some people might say, Mike, you're really, really, really naive to think that way. But I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just really idealistic. I would just prefer. And I don't have any kids, and I'm not married, so I, it's different for me to say. But if I was married, and if I did have a kid, and they were talented enough to play at a high level in a, in a sport, I would want that coach to be a person they could look up to. And there's more than just the football acumen and winning football games that I, that I put down in terms of lessons to my kids. Absolutely, especially when you're in the collegiate area where the the college coaches are doing the majority of the recruiting, and they're they're sitting in a living room and they're talking to parents, saying that they're going to take care of your child, yeah. and you send them off there, and and you have to you like it or not, you have to set that example. Hundred percent agree with you, and I think that's why the Petrino thing irks me a little bit, but. Some of the examples that you gave, at least from the professional level with the Jags, I mean, I, I think that's different. I, you know, I mean, Charles Barkley made that re- look. You made a Luda reference, so uh, I, I think you and I are probably around the same age. So, you know, Charles Barkley years ago had said, "Hey, you know, I, I'm not supposed to be sort of a role model," and I, I think inherently you automatically are when you're in college or when you're a professional athlete, but. 
my pro team, I want my pro team to win, and I'm less concerned, although it is a turnoff. Like I said, I mean, I'm a Knicks fan, and it's hard for me right now to root for the Knicks, knowing Derek Rose is on that roster. I, I think also as a Knicks fan, and anyone who's listening on the East Coast right now, they also understand that. There are other reasons why I am not happy with the Knicks. <laughs> with Eric Rose than, than anything else. So, But, yeah, the pro thing, I think there's a line, and, and in some instances people cross it with the pro line, pro side versus the college side. I, I think that's, that's definitely an interesting discussion because especially with, with Greg Hardy, I was the first one to say absolutely not if the, Jag, the Jaguars should – that we should not be in that situation where we have to to hire or to employ a guy like that who is just as much of a cancer off the field as he is in a locker room. So that there's definitely a you know lines to be drawn. Um, it's just a, it's it's how far are you willing to to go to to allow your team to win or or not allow your team to win, but to root for your team to win. Yeah, and I think. You know, especially, I mean, in a place like Louisville, right, where, and you grew up a fan of that team. I mean, it's, it, it, I always say in the SEC, it is religion, Big Ten is religion, and the Pac-12, the fan base is a little bit different, and I, I would argue it's because of some of the options that they have, you know, and at least my time at ESPN, I've been down at Alabama for pro days, and, and have sort of been in that area. I mean, there is... It's a lifestyle, right? I mean, Saturday college football is, that's what you do. And there's kind of this running joke with regard to, at least in our office, in our headquarters. You know, if you're a Pac-12 fan, you're, if you went to Stanford or Cal, you're worried about what's that next big app that you're going to make to make millions of dollars mm. off of. And if you're in Southern California and you're a an SC fan or a UCLA fan, well, you're probably surfing in the morning before you head to to the game. And you know, it's it just you know, it's just a different environment, it's a different life. And I think there's something to that. And growing up in Northern New Jersey and going to school in New York City and understanding pro teams. Uh, you know, in New York, there's Broadway there. You go to a Mets, and I'm a Mets fan. I'm not. So, you know, you can go to a Mets game. You can go, you know, there's just, there's so many different things that you can do. And yet, in different areas of the country, and there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, it's just the way it is. You, you're such a diehard. It's like live or die. I mean, I always think about those phone calls, like sports talk radio down in some of those areas. It is religion. Yes. I mean, it's. Saturdays is college football. I mean, Sundays you're going to church, and Saturdays it's like, damn, like we're it's roll tide, and I get that. But it's just, it's a different aspect, different way of looking at, at things. And you know, I, and for a guy that makes his, his living on sports and the fandom that comes with it, it's really cool. And I and I, I can't even tell you how much I appreciate the the passion that the fans have. And I even see it for for as much as it's not a religion for some of the schools in the Pac-12, just some of the the feedback that we get on social media, people really do care. And I, I, I know that it's the ante is up a little bit in some of those other conferences. So, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. If you guys are just tuning in, we are joined by Michael Yam. He's the host of the Pac-12 Network and Give Me a Sense podcast. Let's talk about a little bit of the the dynamics of the, the what makes up the the Pac-12 and in their fan base. What sort of sticks out to you on a typical college Saturday? Yeah, I mean, at least for me, Saturday. So it's a buzzkill because I don't ever get to go to the games. I'm always in studio for the Pac-12 Network. And I, look, August is my time where I get to visit all 12 campuses. We do our training camp tour. I'm on every single campus. I get to talk to a lot of the players and all the coaches and get a sense of, of what it's like in those specific areas of the country. And 
you know, one of the questions I always get, and, and they're a hot team right now, Washington, who's who obviously Tuesday the college football playoff rankings are coming, and I'd be shocked if they're not in that top four. But there's something to be said for the different environment. And I made reference to Alabama being down there for some pro days when Trent Richardson was there. There's a there's this fan base that's so passionate about what they do and, and the sport and winning and living or dying and being so defeated off of a loss, whereas I don't know if that's necessarily the case with the Pac-12, but being in Seattle, which is an urban environment, and being up there, people ask me, hey, if you could pick one place to go and watch a football game, like where would it be? And I always say, Washington. I would love to head to Seattle for a football game because they're, the stadium is ridiculous the lake being right there they don't do tailgating I, I, I should say that they do do tailgating but they also do sailgating you know the boats come up and oh wow people are having a good time yeah it's just a really cool it's a great vibe and to me there are so many instances and growing up on the east coast and being in the new jersey new york area and and really not being as passionate about college sports, certainly as I am now, because I grew up a, a Knicks fan, I grew up a Mets fan, and, and following a lot of those pro teams, it's just a different environment where it wasn't live or die. You were passionate about it, you loved it, you wanted to see your team win. And I, I say that about our fan base here. When we travel on the West Coast, I think there's a real sense of disappointment that I have for fans on the East Coast that don't get to go and watch because of the time difference, West Coast games. My four years at ESPN, and I did college football shows for him, and Sports Center, and NBA shows, college basketball shows. Yeah, there's there's an East Coast bias, and I was aware of it, but I didn't live it. And now I'm living it, and it's so disappointing to me because there's so many stars that end up playing in the NFL or the NBA or Major League Baseball that played on the West Coast, and because there's a three-hour time difference from the East Coast, people miss out on that, and I think that showcase with the Heisman voting, we saw it a year ago with Christian McCaffrey, mm. and the fact that 16% of the Heisman vote put cast their vote before the Pac-12 championship game, Oh wow! where McCaffrey goes off. I mean, he's over 300 yards, total yards in that game. I mean, when you, you can throw out Christian McCaffrey's name and say, hey, Barry Sanders, and he broke his all-purpose yard record, you know, people know Barry Sanders. Christian McCaffrey is nasty, and I know he's been banged up this year and he's had some issues in terms of health, but there's so many talented players. USA Today, like a couple weeks ago, I guess it was heading into week number eight, so two weeks ago, USA Today did a poll of some Heisman voters, and the top three vote-getters in order were Lamar Jackson, one of your guys, who yes. I'm sure you would cast your vote for. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, J.T. Barrett, and, 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 uh, and J.T. Barrett was second, and Deshaun Watson. And I'm not saying those guys aren't deserving, not at all. But how do you not know that Jake Brown, like to me it was shocking that Jake Brown and the quarterback at Washington is not in that conversation. And in my mind, he's number two on that list. And I think you can make a case for Allen, who's a defensive player, uh, who, who's had some outstanding moments for Alabama, Peppers at Michigan, I think is maybe the best all-around player in college football. But to me, there, there's such a bias of what's happening in terms of that vote on the East Coast. It's really disappointing because there really is some great football being played out west. Why do you think that bias exists? Is it just because of the time difference? I, I think a lot of it has to do like, with, with the time difference. I mean, I think that there's been some times, even a year ago, like Luke Falk, who we thought was a dark horse heading into the season, the quarterback at Washington State, for some of, the, some of your listeners who maybe aren't aware, which is a shame because I think if he was putting up the numbers he was putting up 
at uh, at Clemson, for example, or a team on the East Coast or in the SEC. Jesus, if Luke Falk played for an SEC team, it, it wouldn't even be close right now. It'd be Lamar Jackson, it'd be Luke Falk, but because he plays at Washington State. But there's these moments that these quarterbacks have, and he led this huge, huge game-winning drive, and it was such a outstanding football game against UCLA on the road a year ago. And, you know, that game ends at East Coast time, close to 1 a.m. Like, how many people are watching that? And I think that's the biggest issue right now. Players on the West Coast are facing with the narrative nationally versus what's happening in on the West Coast. Because I think, you know, out West, at least with the Pac-12 network, and obviously we're focusing in on our schools, but there's something to be said for some talented guys that just don't get nearly enough love. Do you think that that... And you don't uh, play at USC. Do you think that that sort of the East Coast bias, does that affect recruiting as far as, you know, guys who grew up on the West Coast, do they more often than not maybe choose an East Coast team because they know that they, they might get more exposure? You know, I think it's rare, and especially nowadays with geography and where guys go. When we do our signing day show at Pac-12 Network, it is abundantly clear most of the top West Coast players stay on the West Coast, and Southern California is a hotbed for some of the most talented players in the country, and yet UCLA has had, you know, it depends on which rankings you use, right? If it's ESPN or Scout, we use Scout, but you know, a lot of those players, the top players on the West Coast stay on West Coast Stay on the West Coast and stay at West Coast schools, and there's a reason for that. Look, the resources are there. I mean, for as good as – at one point when I made reference to that Pro Day show that I did uh, when I was at ESPN, and Danny Cannell was the guy that I did that show with. And we get down to Alabama, we're on campus, and, you know, Nick Saban's in. Well, I think we might have uh, Michael. Are you still okay. there? Oh, yeah. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> we got you back. Can you, can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you. Yeah. No, what I was saying was, you know, we were down at that pro day show, and Danny Cannell turns to me, and we're on campus at Alabama, and Nick Saban's there, and he said to me, "Hey, like this is the facilities that they have here are better than what I had when I was playing for the Giants," and that was first introduction to real big-time football facilities, and then fast forward a few years, I'm at Pac-12 Network, and I'm at Oregon, there's not a facility that you can pick that's better than what the Oregon Ducks have. I mean, it's it's Phil Knight, it's Uncle Phil, and it is amazing that's there, but go around the rest of the conference, and the facilities are there for them. It's really hard for West Coast players to leave the footprint, and I think most coaches realize that, and I think that's why certain teams and iconic programs like Texas, right? Like, they get the best players in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Texas is so great when it comes to, to college football recruiting, and I think the same thing can be said for USC and the job Jim Moore has done at UCLA, keeping talent in the Los Angeles area. And sometimes those players that want to leave L.A., well, they end up at Oregon, or they end up, if they, if they have the grades, they end up at Stanford or even Cal. So to me, I don't know if that necessarily shaped the what we're seeing recruiting-wise, but because I really do genuinely think that most guys stay close to home and stay at least, if they're West Coast talented players, they're staying on the West Coast, and they're not going to an FEC school or an ACC school. Michael Yam, host of the Pac-12 Network and Give Me a Sense podcast, is joining us here on the Guys Girl Show. Michael, you, you, you mentioned Oregon, and they've struggled a little bit this year, to, to say the least, and, and recently... Yeah. Chip Kelly had a guest on his sideline, San Francisco 49ers head coach Chip Kelly, and he had Phil Knight visiting him on the sidelines. Now, myself included, along with a few other people, speculated that that could be 
Chip Kelly's way of saying, hey, you know, I'm ready to come back to college football. Do you, do you see any truth in that? You know, I don't buy that as much because I think if Chip Kelly wanted to come back to college football, he would have done that after his exit from Philadelphia. And there are going to be options for him, and I think that's the beauty of what we've seen from Chip. And obviously the 49ers struggled this season, but I don't see... I don't know if there's a return there. I, I, I like the story. It's juicy. There's a media twist to it. It's kind of a sexy story. Hey, is Chip Kelly going back to the college level? He'll have his pick. I don't know if it's Oregon. And I'll throw this out your way, Blake. And, and I think people are really quick to point to some of the struggles Oregon has had this season. And there's a lot. But they have a quarterback right now. It's a true freshman in Justin Herbert, who, who's had his, it's now three straight starts for him. He's really good very, very talented. And the last two years, Oregon has had to go to the FCS level. We saw it with Vernon Adams a year ago, and we saw it at the start of this season uh, with Dakota Prukop. But I, I actually think for as bad as the season has gone for Oregon, I don't think Mark Helfrich gets fired this season, and I think they still have that guy. I don't know if Jim Kelly, and I don't actually think he's headed back to the college game uh, anytime soon. I, I think we saw some success that he had in Philadelphia, at least in the early goings, and I, I think he still has some time with, with, uh, with San Francisco. Well, speaking of the, the other teams in the Pac-12, do, do you have a theory on any or a sort of, um, I guess, a prediction on if any of the Pac-12 teams will make it into the college football playoff? Yeah, I still think it's Washington. I you know, people talk about strength of schedule. We were on a phone call with Bill Hancock, who's the executive director for the college football playoff, and he made it a point like, to talk about strength of schedule. And I'm the first one. We always call ourselves truth tellers at the Pac-12 Network. You know, truth be told, UW has not had the best strength of schedule, but they have shown that I, th- I would make an argument they're the most complete team in college football. Every single layer of that defense, and it was good last year, is as good as anyone else. Now, I, I think one of the analysis that we did, we had Eric Allen, a six-time Pro Bowler, who played with the Eagles, played you know, won a Rose Bowl with Arizona State, and he made the argument that, statistically speaking, they're right there with Alabama, they're right there with Michigan. You know, we're big on team identity. So when it comes to defense – at least of those top four. And I don't know how many of your listeners would say, hey, it should, it should be Alabama, Michigan, UW, and Clemson. But at least on the West Coast, those are the four teams. Pick your order. But those are the four teams that we would argue right now should be in the college football playoff. Washington, I still would argue, is the most complete team. Their defense is as good, uh, or at least in the conversation with Alabama and, and certainly Michigan. And I think offensively, they're right there with Clemson. Clemson's identity is offense, and I think completeness, is, if that's a word, complete, being the most complete team in college football is Washington. So I do think on Tuesday when those college football playoff rankings are unveiled, I fully expect Washington to be, Washington to be in that top four. With the other teams, I guess, that didn't have in, I guess, sort of exceeded expectations, UCLA, what in the world happened to them this year? Oh, man, I really thought, Blake, that they would be the team that would come out of the South. And it, it seems like no one actually wants to take that division because it's been it's been a hard division to handicap. And Colorado is certainly there. Uh, Utah, we've seen them. USC might be playing as well as anyone right now. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the top 25 when those playoff rankings come out. But 
you're right. I, I think defensively there's been some up and down moments that they had this season, but the fact that Josh Rosen has been banged up and the fact that he's got nerve damage and or there's a nerve issue, I should say damage, but there's some nerve issues and he wasn't on the football field, I think that plays a factor for him. But to me, the biggest issue is who's that big player that, that – who's the wide receiver, the playmaker that they have right there? When we were on our training camp, I didn't see that guy. You go through all 12 of the teams out on the West Coast, and it's abundantly clear who that player could be. Itch Adams, who played defense last year in that secondary, is dynamic. They moved into offense this season. They just play – they haven't had – this go-to wide receiver, and I think that's put a lot of pressure on Josh Rosen mm-hmm. to be arguably the best quarterback. I thought he could be the face of, of college football heading into the season. Absolutely. It hasn't turned out that way. Part of it's because of injuries, and I think part of it is because they haven't had necessarily the playmakers at the wide receiver spot to help out. So what are you watching out for outside of UCLA and Washington? What are, you, what are the biggest storylines that you're watching in the Pac-12 for the, the remainder of the season? Yeah, I think it's the winner of the South. And look, for as good as Washington is, it could come down to the end of the season. And it could be an Apple Cup, which is a huge rivalry between Washington State and UW. And Washington State right now, I think they've won five straight, six straight, whatever the number is. But, you know, they're undefeated right now in league play. And if they beat, if they went out and Washington wins out up until that last week, you know, the winner of that game goes to a Pac-12 championship. And if it's not UW, they're, they're not going to be in. That's a hard thing to overcome to not even play for your championship game. So I think that race is really intriguing. And the tiebreakers in the South, because right now Utah's beating USC, who's playing as well as anyone, and Colorado doesn't have the tiebreaker. So it's a weird dynamic, and it's so crazy that Utah could have been, had it not been for a crazy play or crazy finish in Berkeley against Cal, you know, could have one loss, and it could be against a really talented Washington team. The AP Top 25 poll came out, and after a loss, they actually moved from 17 to 16. Mm-hmm. That's the amount of respect that, that Utah is getting right now nationally, and I think it's well-deserved. Do you have a prediction of the, the final four teams that are going to make it into the, the college football playoff? Yeah, I still think it's Alabama for sure, and I think they still have some significant matchups left on their schedule. Uh, you know, the game against LSU I think is going to be there, and I yes. think it's going to potentially be a tough one for them. But I still like Alabama in that top four, and I, I feel like it, it would be crazy if they wouldn't be there uh, just because of the media push. I think that helps that, that, that narrative for them. Absolutely. Uh, I think Washington's going to be there in no particular order. Uh, I'll say Alabama, Washington, Michigan I think is a better football team than Ohio State, which might shake some heads, but after what we've seen the last couple of weeks, whether it's a loss to Penn State, talent is there, but I think Jim Harbaugh's did a really, really excellent job with that ball club, and Clemson, they find ways, and you're an ACC fan, right? I mean, you saw what happened oh. against Louisville. Clemson <laughs> has found ways to win some close games, a lot like Tennessee, but I think they're obviously a better team than, than Tennessee is, so to me, I think those would be the top four teams that I would still have. Absolutely. And I, I mean, think at, at Dark Horse, I think Wisconsin has shown strength of schedule. Bill Hancock told us strength of schedule is important. And Wisconsin right now defensively is so talented, but just they got to find some ways to score some points. Yes, um, I know all about Clemson and, and Louisville right now. They um, <laughs> yeah. That was such, yeah. a, it was such a great game, and I was really hoping was. that Clemson would have dropped, you know, either versus NC State a couple weeks back or – or against FSU over the weekend, I really thought that one of those teams would help us out, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, if you guys are just tuning in, we are joined by the the Pac-12 
in in studio host and host of Give Me a Sense podcast, Michael Yam. And and speaking of, of Give Me a Sense podcast, can you guys can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, the, it's not necessarily a West Coast or a Pac-12 thing. It's a sports storytelling show is how I like to describe it. I mean, we've had everyone from, although I have some, about to name some guests, some of them are West Coast guests, Ronnie Lott, Matt Leiner, uh, Jake Plummer is certainly one of those guys that comes to mind. We had Larry Kuskoviak, who's head coach at, at, uh, at Utah, who obviously had some time in the NBA. It, it's all about storytelling. And on top of the athletes, there's a lot of broadcasters. I think some of your listeners might know Tony Reale from PTI, who I went to yeah. college with. Uh, you know, across the board, Kevin Connors, who's another broadcaster who uh, does Sports Center right now. I'm all about just sort of like sharing a path. I'm sure Blythe, as a broadcaster, you get these questions. How do I break into the industry? And I, I try to get as many broadcasters on as I can to share their story because I think it's really important for people who want to enter the industry to hear what it's like. There's no set path. There's so many different ways to get into on-air jobs and just hearing some of the stories from some of the guys that I've had on the show, I think it's hopefully helpful for, for people who want to break in. And if you're just a sports fan in general, to hear what it's like uh, to win a Heisman Trophy, what it's like in that, that room right before your name is called, or what, what are the conversations like in uh, – you know, in a quarterback room at the NFL level for Jake Plummer, what's it like to, to hit the free agency market and, and not necessarily want to stay with your football team and then go to another franchise? What what are some of the factors that are involved in that? Or, you know, how good can Penny Hardaway really be, which is what Larry Kraskoviak was talking about. He actually thought he could be as good as Jordan if he had stayed healthy. So uh, to me, that's sort of the crux of the show, to tell a lot of stories, whether it's professionally, uh, how to get into the business, or just what's it like to be involved in, in sports at the pro level. Do you have a favorite story that you that has been told to you so far? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it's funny, around Olympic time, Jeremy Bloom, who is as decorated as an uh, Olympic athlete as we have in this country, you know, in, in terms of skiing, and Samantha Patrick, who's an Olympic gymnast. I had taped the interview with Sam and... I was like, tell me about the Olympic Village. And she didn't kind of, she didn't go there, right? I mean, she was kind of like, well, I was a little bit younger. We all hear stories about it. And she kind of kept it PC for me. And then I get Jeremy Bloom on, and Jeremy's like, yo, Mike, it is ridiculous. You know, it is as good as everyone says it is. So there's that aspect of it. Uh, which I thought was kind of cool to hear Jeremy tell me about the Olympic Village. And, and both of those people still work for NBC. And Jeremy joked, he said, I would, you know, and he said, you know, not that I want to take some leverage away from my deal with NBC, but he's like, I would do this for free. He said, I got assigned to the Olympic Village. And he's like, I, there's no other assignment I would rather have for an Olympic Games than being in that Olympic Village. So there's that aspect of the stories that I, that I love to hear. That's amazing. It was cool to hear Matt tell me. Yeah, it was really it was fun to hear because he gave me the real deal. Uh, it was fun to hear Matt Liner tell me about what it was like with him and Reggie Bush being in New York City and and potentially one of the Heisman him rooting for Reggie and him actually casting a vote for Reggie Bush because obviously the Heisman voters get votes and Ronnie Lott in terms of greatness, but uh, some of the mistakes too. I mean, I, I think it was sort of inspirational to hear some of the issues that Tony Reale had. Uh, in his early broadcasting career, Kevin Connors, who does Sports Center now, he sent out. He told me between three hundred and four hundred tapes oh, wow. to get a TV job, and he he just couldn't get a bite. And now he's one of the signature faces at ESPN. And to me, that's really cool oh, to gosh. hear something like that because 
you know, we all struggle, right? I mean, I'm sure you had struggles. I had struggles to, to try to break into the business. And I didn't send out 300 tapes. I can tell you that. I, I sent that a lot. It was probably closer to like 50 or 60 to get my first radio job. But uh, 300 tapes, I, I might have hung it up at that point. So the perseverance aspect of it, I think, to me, was was really special, really special to hear that story. Do you have a, a tip for any broadcasters that are looking to, to to sort of break into the industry based off of everyone that you've talked to? Is there is there sort of a, a common thread of advice? No one ever gives up. If you want to do this, there's there's a way to do it. And especially now, I mean, I'm 35, and when I graduated college, it was 2003, and I was at Fordham, there, there wasn't the social media the way it is now. There weren't podcasts. I mean, the, the thought of me putting together, I had to reteach myself how to edit audio, right? I mean, I, I didn't know how to, I forgot how to do it, but that's, you know, I'm a one-man band on my podcast, and, you know, people can go and do that now and get those reps and that experience and call up people. I mean, there's, you have no idea how many people are always willing to, to help out. I was so fortunate and so lucky to, to have mentors and people that were willing to watch my tape or, or listen to my tapes and, you know, give me feedback. So I, I would say perseverance. And if you want to be on air, find a way to get on air because it's easy. If you want to be a producer, like you could be a great producer, but it is easier to go that path, I think. And not to say that's an easy path, but I think when you graduate to find an on-air job, sometimes it can be really difficult. It can be daunting, it can be intimidating, it can be discouraging, but if you're passionate about it and you want to do it and you're really serious about the sacrifice, whether it's missing out on weddings and birthdays and holidays and getting paid not a whole lot of money, there there are opportunities for people. And, and the more passionate you are about it, and the more you're willing to sacrifice, and the more uh, you're willing to put in the work and get those opportunities and reps and say yes to every opportunity, the more likely it is you're going to be successful. So that's by far my biggest piece of advice. Just get on air if you want to do it. That's fabulous advice. Now, 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 Michael, I was going through your Twitter feed a little bit earlier today, and I noticed that you were having trouble oh, God. deciding on your Halloween costume. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> did yeah. you did you make a final yeah, you determination? Know, I, you know, I always I said this. So Ashley Adams is one of my co-hosts at uh, at Pac-12 Network. Oh no! I think, are you like, still, okay, yeah. you can wear one, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm not wearing a wig. And I told her she <laughs> said to me before you dressing up, and I'm like, Ash, you know me, I'm not going to dress up. And I always say, if I am fortunate and lucky enough to ever ever be a dad I, I will dress up for my kid to go to go trick-or-treating but um, I did not dress up I, I always say they've superimposed my face <laughs> on so many different like bodies and I, I just I did not dress up but Ash actually threw an orange I guess it wasn't orange it was ginger can we just say ginger right <laughs> uh, threw a wig on me at the end of the show, but she dressed up. So I did not end up going with one, but they did superimpose my head on Superman, a firefighter, a referee, and uh, <laughs> uh, the duck at Oregon, the mascot. Uh, we kept it Pac-12 theme, so I did not dress up, unfortunately. But I, look, I, I said my my my, uh, my costume would be not wearing makeup. I thought that would scare enough people from, uh, 
uh, from watching watching the show. So I'm actually heading home right now. From I'm still hoping I get a couple cute kids in their costumes and I can pass out some candy, which <laughs> hopefully doesn't sound too creepy. But I always like seeing the kids dressed up. They always have a blast, and it it reminds me of my childhood. Oh, that that that's been one of my favorite parts with social media is just seeing everybody with their their kids' costumes because I I personally love to dress up for Halloween. I'm actually in a a, a Mortal Kombat costume right now doing this live stream. But, yes. <laughs> what's your what's your who's your character? My character is Sonya Blade. She was the the first female yes. character. Oh yeah, you know her. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we might be close. When you made the ludicrous reference and, and area codes, I was like, oh okay, Blake and I might be close to the uh, to the same age. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Mortal Kombat, like Sega Genesis, that was that. You, did you have the blood code like growing up? Like you could like put like the cheat cheat code it was like contra that's like really old school like the up down up up down oh down, yeah left right b-a-b-a it's like star so like genesis there was a blood code for mortal Kombat where you could get the graphics where they showed blood after you beat the person yes because did you play with that or no it, we did because uh, my brother and i we were not allowed to play mortal Kombat. so what happened is that we would go over to my cousin's house who had mortal Kombat on sega genesis and so that's where we would play it every single weekend <laughs> So we yeah, got to see all the blood and the yeah. gore. <laughs> yeah. Did you ever see Mortal Kombat the movie? I, I, as a kid, I did, and I, I know that it's, it's, um, it's not necessarily looked at as an Academy Award winning production nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But Sonya Blade, she was. Um, I'm, for, forgive me if I forget her. If, if I'm wrong on this, but isn't it like Bridget Wilson who was uh, Pete Sampras's wife? Wasn't she Sonya Blade in that, in that I, movie? I vaguely remember her in the movie because when I was I, I was in a, a cosplay event earlier this year, so that that was my character for for that event. And so when I was doing my research on her, most of the research just is sort of flashing back as a as a kid was was mostly from the video game. So the movie I, I didn't I didn't necessarily go back and rewatch because it was um I, I tried to and it just wasn't it I couldn't I couldn't. That's fair. Well, anyone who's listening right now, you can INDB it, and you can tell me if I'm right or I'm wrong. But yeah, but Sonny Blade, all right, so well done by you. So you're you're in character, ready to rock and roll. So I, I can appreciate that. Absolutely. Th- thank you so much. Um, uh, one last thing for uh, the Give Me a Sense podcast. When can, can listeners expect new shows? Yeah, so every Tuesday I put them out, and every show is evergreen. So I, I try not to ask anything that's current, and if I get coaches on, I don't even really ask them about their teams. I sort of just, you know, they have them. Like Larry Kraskoviak, who played in the NBA, I wanted to know what it was like to be with the Chicago Bulls and Jordan and Pippen and Phil Jackson, and um, obviously at the time with the Orlando Magic. And I actually always thought that Michael Red, who was a great shooter, I always put him in the category of one of the greatest shooters I've ever seen. And yet, whenever I have these debate with, debates with people, they always say, what are you talking about, like Steph Curry and Ray Allen? And, um, you know, for the old generation, Mark Price certainly comes to mind. But Larry actually confirmed that Michael Red was as good as any of those shooters. So, uh, but every single Tuesday, I, I put shows up. And Pat Boyle, who's the coach of Colorado, he's the next guest. Uh, the week after, Corey Close and Steve Lavin, I had them on together to talk about John Wooden because college basketball season's uh, about to kick up. So, um, but yeah, every episode is evergreen. They're up every Tuesday. It's available on iTunes. I think most people usually get their podcasts on iTunes, but Stitcher, I, I guess, I always say wherever fine podcasts are, are found, but I don't know if I would characterize mine as a fine podcast, but they're on a couple different platforms. No, 
absolutely. That that's definitely something that I'm going to go and and download immediately because that I'm all about evergreen podcasts. So that is fantastic. Well, well, thank you so much to to, to Michael Yam, host of the Pac-12 Network, and give me a sense podcast. It was really, really a pleasure speaking with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Blake, for having me, and best of luck with your show. Uh, thanks. You as well. That was pretty cool. I don't. I, I, I'm pretty sure that you guys could could hear the majority of it. I had Michael on on speakerphone, and so I sort of just put it up right up next to the mic here on BitChat. So hopefully you were able to hear the majority of that interview because that was fantastic. A lot of insight. Formerly at ESPN, um, covers you know he born and raised on the East Coast, so that was really really cool for for him to join us. So if you if you get a chance. Go to iTunes, go to wherever your, you know, your podcast subscriber is and download his podcast, Give Me a Sense podcast with Michael Yam. Again, he is the in-studio host for the Pac-12 Network and Give Me a Sense podcast. So that was, that was pretty great. Um, if you're just tuning in, my name is Blythe Bremleave. I am the host of the Guys Girl Show. We're here every Monday and Friday. And what we like to do is recap the weekend of sports and um, also preview the weekend of sports coming up. So what we'll do that again here on Friday morning. And for this week's show, that's going to conclude our show for this evening. Unless anybody wants to, you know, reach out and, and give us a ring here on BidChat. Um, if you wanted, if you missed any part of this show, what we're going to do afterwards is that we'll, we'll reformat it. We'll put it in audio format and video format. We'll put it up in a, and I, when I say we, it's me and my, my podcast editor, um, Josh Young, who will, will, he's like a magician. He'll, he'll whip it all into shape and he'll make it sound really pretty and make it sound really good. And um, what we'll do is we'll throw it up in a blog post recap. I'll put it up on guysgirl.com. That's my company. Um, so you'll be able to find it on Guys Girl probably by tomorrow afternoon if you missed any part of that interview or what we talked about earlier in the show. Um, if you're wondering why I'm wearing a costume, it's Halloween. Duh. That's why I'm wearing a costume. And if you missed any part of that interview that, with Michael Yam, then you might have uh, missed my explanation on why I'm wearing a costume and it's because, or why I chose this character as my costume, and it's because earlier in the year I was involved in a cosplay event, and so it was a, a versus-themed cosplay event for Killer Instinct, um, for Street Fighter, for Mortal Kombat, basically any game that involves versus, like fighting style. Um, so a lot of people, or a lot of cosplayers, were chosen to represent a certain character. And we took a lot of pictures for the promo of the event, and then the event goes on, and it's just basically a bunch of people getting together, eating pizza rolls, having a few beers, having a few drinks, um, listening to good music, checking out all of the art that goes on. It's a really, really fun show, so if you're based here in Jacksonville, Florida, or ever want to to come down to a GAM event, the GAM events are a ton, a ton of fun. I highly, highly recommend them. Um, but that is why I'm dressed up in, in um, a Sonya Blade costume, which... Had my dog tags. I got my headband. I even had a glove too because if you if you know of Sonya Blade as a character in Mortal Kombat, you know she does the kiss of death. Um, so I ha- I made this um, light up glove, which you can kind of I brought it out, but I haven't put it on yet. But what happens is like it sits on your wrist and then it lights up, so it's really like bright and pink and. So that's the color of her kiss of death is, you know, she morphs it in her hand and then she blows. That's her fatality. 
So um, that was a little extra bonus that, that I added into um, the cosplay. But I wanted to thank you guys so much for, for joining me on the show today. We're going to hopefully be joined by more guests here in the future. Um, a lot of women in sports, um, other people in sports to sort of talk about how they broke into the industry and, and how they um, how, how they they really sort of survive in the industry and, and, and take it to the next level because even in, in past interviews, I've spoken with people the likes of, you know, Sarah Walsh, who works at ESPN right now, and she's um, a former UNF alum, Jacksonville resident, and she pretty much said that if you want to get involved with sports, if you want to get involved in any kind of capacity whatsoever, you have to be able to embrace the changing technology scene. And for someone like me, I got involved in sports in 2009 when I started up Guys Girl, and I started it up as just a sports blog. And I cannot tell you how uncomfortable I get when I go back and I read my original stuff from 2009 because it sucks. It's flat out sucks. And it just sort of, it's like cringeworthy. But it's, it's one of those things that the more you do it, the, the more you get comfortable with it. And that's sort of the, the, that blind determination and never giving up is what Michael Yam was talking about, that you always have to keep persevering. You always have to keep moving forward. And that's sort of where I found myself in my career because I started out writing and then just, I think, what, like three, three football seasons ago, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my third football season, but two years ago, I guess I should say, is when I got my first radio opportunity. I had never done radio before, but they saw my writing. They, they had some faith in me. Let me come on air, and now I'm I'm hosting two shows with a local radio station here in Jacksonville on 1010XL. Um, we host Helmets and Heels on Tuesday nights, which if you've seen any of my other bit chat videos, you might have noticed that you know I'll be in studio, and it's sort of like a behind-the-scenes look. So what I'll do is I'll do a couple of those bit chat shows with a behind-the-scenes look, but the real guys girl shows which is what i've recently um started up here with bit chat we're, we're we've done a handful of shows with, with bit chat so far um but that's sort of what i'm breaking into now is is sort of getting in you know getting getting away from just being behind a microphone and getting in front of a video camera and 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 talking about sports which is a whole new medium for me um, I've done some TV hosting in the past here for a local um, television station for First Coast News, um, but it's more of opinion-based. It's more of, you know, interaction. It's not, you know, I guess traditional reporter duties, which I'm, I'll, I'll never be a traditional reporter just because of the fact that I, I like to give my opinion. I like to let people know what I think and more, I think, especially with reporters, more of their job is to give an unbiased view of the story that they're telling. Meanwhile, I want to tell you the story, and then I want to tell you my exact opinion on it. So that's where I've sort of parlayed my writing career into a radio gig and now into TV hosting and, and bit chat hosting videos. So thank you guys for, for tuning in. Like I said earlier, we are here every Monday night from 7 to 8.39 p.m.-ish, depending on the content interviews, that sort of thing. Um, if, you know callers want to call in, then I'm more than happy to, to, to talk with you guys. Um, but we're also here on Friday mornings as well, previewing the, the weekend of sports to come. So keep tuning in, subscribe on iTunes. That, that helps the, the shows outreach a ton. Like I said, the recap, if you missed any part of this show or especially with the interview with Michael Yam, I'll have that up on guysgirl.com tomorrow. Um, if you have any suggestions, 
you just want to shoot the shit, if you just want to have an email back and forth, all my contact information is all on guysgirl.com. You can send me an email. You can send me a tweet. You can send me an Instagram DM. I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know how to check my date, my DMs because a couple times that I have, I've sort of regretted it because there's, there's, there's a few creeps out there. Um, so I tend not to check, um, the DMs too many times. Um, but like I said, this is, um, this is a, a great experience and I'm just glad that you guys are, are here and, and joining and, and hopefully enjoying it. Um, but always wanting, always looking to get better. So if you have any suggestions, anybody that you think that we should talk to, anybody that you would like to hear from, 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 you know, a sports or, or entertainment perspective, um, definitely reach out. Let me know. I'm always down to hear feedback. I'm always down to, to share ideas and, and to talk with you guys further. But thank you so much for joining us. Um, we will be back on Friday morning. And um, that's about it. Hope you guys have a good Halloween. And uh, thanks for tuning in again. And I will see you guys later. Bye.